Maybe big data has gotten too big. Whether you're a B2B marketer or a consumer brand, your data needs to be viable, relevant, and accessible so that Starista can help you retain customers, acquire customers, and make it personal. Welcome to the Marketing Stir Podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ear. I'm Vin, the producer here at Starista. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders and get their take on the current challenges of the market. And we'll have a little fun along the way. In today's episode, Palmer Houchins, head of marketing at G2, talks about acquisition, leads, and opportunities created by a strong team, and how customers are advocates for allowing for opportunities to grow. AJ dons some glowing orange Starista apparel, and Vincent is happy to have friends. Give it a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Starista's The Marketing Stir. I am your host, Vincent Petrofessa, the Vice President of B2B Products and Partnerships here at Starista. It is so great to be talking to you all again. I love the great feedback that people have been giving us about this New Year's episode. So thank you for all of that. We do appreciate it. Let's pause just for like 10 seconds to talk about Strista. That's the only time we talk about it. That's okay. We try to pay some bills around here. I'm kidding. That's not really a thing. We're not a professional radio network. But Strista, we are a marketing technology company. We own our own business-to-business data, business-to-consumer data. We help people access that data to help get their message out to them, to help them get some new customers through our own technology, ESP, DSP we own. You could do email, display, connected TV, OTT, email me, vincent at strista.com if ever interested in any of our services or interested in being on the podcast, let us know. Ladies and gentlemen, I am confident about what I just told you, and I'm also confident about this next guest. He is coming in hot with the orange, ladies and gentlemen. It's our one and only CEO, our founder, Mr. AJ Gupta. What's going on, AJ? Yeah, besides my orange glow, (laughs) I look like a big blob of orange, but luckily most people listen to this podcast and not watch it. I know. They, they, I was telling that to our guest, most people, and there's a lot of you. Thank you so much. Who would have ever thought that people would want to listen to us, AJ? Actually, we always thought, like, well, more people people should just listen. Yeah, to let, let's not kid ourselves. We, yeah, have always, I, we love hearing our voices. So. I know. Yeah, I so you're right. I shouldn't <laughs> sugarcoat that. I'm surprised, but I'm also, I'm like, yeah, we got something to say. So let's hey, just, just because our wives don't like to hear our voices doesn't mean we don't have fans. Oh, I know. You know, the other day, my uh, someone I was in, a, and I think I said this in the podcast, I was with a group of like parents, you know, like you hang out with parents now when you have small kids, whether you like them or not, that's a whole other story. But there, one of the moms said to you, she's like, oh, your wife must laugh all the time. I said, she does not. She does not. You would think that she would laugh and enjoy you know, me and my personality. She does not. But it is uh, good to see you, AJ. You are, do have a glow. Whether you're wearing black or whether you're wearing white or orange, you always have a glow. And I'll see you soon. We're having the sales summit down in San Antonio. I'm coming down there for the time this airs. I've already been there, so I had a great time. I'm sure my presentation wowed the crowd. But uh, yeah, we'll be back in San Antonio. This is the time I like coming to San Antonio when it's like Jan Feb. I don't like coming out there in August, I got to tell you. Yeah, I, I was in Colorado 
God knows what the temperature was. It was in the negative, I think. But um, then I was back home in San Antonio for a day or two, and it was 75 degrees. And then I had to leave for CES to go to Vegas, and there it was 40 degrees. So I definitely uh, missed out on some of the uh, good weather in San Antonio. But luckily, it's continuing, so hopefully it stays warm for you. That'd be nice. Yeah, bring uh, bring some good weather, some good good conversation. We'll have a good time. Looking forward to seeing everyone out there. AJ, I'm also excited about this guest. Let me tell you something, because oftentimes we talk about this on the podcast. In our industry, there's a lot of companies that you hear about, right? I remember, you know, uh, people when we had someone from Zoom, right? People, Zoom has become part of the vernacular. You hear companies like a snowflake, right? And also G2. I, you know, G2 is one of those companies that so many people talk about. And we're so glad that we have someone on from G2. This, this gentleman, he used to live in New York City. I wish he still lived here. We'd, we'd do this podcast live over a beer, maybe. But he's with us today. He's in another cool city. He's uh, calling in from Atlanta. Ladies and gentlemen, the head of marketing at G2. Palmer Houchins, what's going on, Palmer? Hey, not too much. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I I wish we were doing this over a beer in New York too. Yeah, it would be it would be fun. We've never done a live episode, right? I, were I was talking to AJ and I. We we're talking about it. Maybe at a conference near you, ladies and gentlemen, coming to you. Let's uh, get on that marketing department. We have uh, thousands and thousands of listeners. Get us uh, in front of people. But anyway, yeah, it would be fun, Palmer. You and I. Uh, great conversations already. We bonded over New York. We bonded over uh, your alma mater, Ole Miss, for which I did not go to, but my favorite quarterback of all time, Mr. Eli Manning did. I am a big Giants fan, as the good people who listen to this podcast know. But Palmer, I'm not lying when I say people are just People are talking about G2. Mm -hmm. People are like, oh, I went to G2. Oh, my, my company's up at G2. I did all my research there. So for those of the listeners who maybe know the brand, know the company. Tell us in your own words, G2 and your role within the company. Yeah, sure, sure thing. Um, so G2, we think of ourselves as the world's largest and most trusted software marketplace, uh, kind of put that simply. Uh, we Because it's a marketplace, we have two sides. So on the one side, you have software vendors, folks like yourselves, who uh, you know list their products? Uh, we've got about 145,000 of those on the site, so just a, a really big critical mass. Uh, sort of re reflects the global software market there, and, and those are spread across 2,000 categories. So uh, a lot of coverage there. And then on the flip side of the marketplace, we have the software buyers. And what I think is really unique about that is we have anybody from a mom and pop shop who's just looking for an email marketing solution or something you know very small all the way to the biggest Fortune 500 enterprises out there who may be researching a highly specialized like cybersecurity solution. Um, so the beauty is being able to bring those two sides together. Um, 
that's the company at large from a commercial solutions perspective. We have a, a marketing solution that helps those software vendors reach those software buyers. We have a data solutions offering that uh, kind of gives a bird's, eye, a bird's eye view to folks like investors and they can get a better sense of what's happening at the in the software landscape or specific categories or companies that are really emerging. And then we have a, a traditional SaaS solution called G2 Track that's just a software spend management uh, product that's, you know, very in the climate that we're in today is is, is very, very popular as folks are looking to trim their spin and make sure that they're as efficient as possible. Um, from just a company perspective, we have around 700 employees headquartered in Chicago, but offices in London and Bangalore as well. And then quite a few folks like myself who who join remote every day, uh, as, as most of us are, are, are used to doing for the past two or three years. Um, I joined in, in the summer of 2021 as the VP of brand and comms and uh, recently moved into the, the head of marketing role here. So lead our brands, uh, product marketing and demand teams. That, that's awesome. And congrats uh, on, on the promotion, it seemed like. So that, that's that's good for you. And and thanks for that breakdown. I, I kind of mm -hmm. knew one piece of the business there. Uh, but, you know, thanks for clarifying sure. for, for myself and the listeners. Palmer, one of the fan favorite questions because a lot of people it's not a traditional path but you know maybe it was for you i mean you worked at some great companies it looks like mailchimp so you kind of know a little bit of uh, our world although we're you know di different from them but talk to us about how you got into marketing yeah it's funny i i feel like it's very rarely a straight path for folks in marketing i mean you you meet the occasional marketing major who then goes into it but I didn't have that straight path. I um, So I studied history and journalism in college. And, and if you'd asked me at the beginning of school, I thought I wanted to be a writer, could be a journalist somewhere. Um, simultaneously, while I was in school, I, I had a little bit of an entrepreneurial streak. Um, and I got interested, I was always interested in music, but started doing concert promotion, uh, you know, artist management, just, just fun stuff to do when you're in college and you have the time and, and you know, Staying out till till uh, one a.m. to put on a concert is no big deal, which sounds like my worst nightmare today. Um, <laughs> but that kind of led me into the world, and it's sort of like the earliest forms of of, of digital marketing. I mean, this was this was back in the early two thousands. So, you know, MySpace and Yahoo Groups and things like that that are uh, have gone by the wayside. But I started getting interesting in marketing uh, that way, and and kind of by the time I finished college. I realized, you know what? I, I don't think going to 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 be a, a journalist at a small newspaper somewhere is is really uh, what I want to do. And I kind of built up this skill set in in marketing. So I found a role uh, right out of school with the startup. It was a digital music startup, and worked with them for a year before uh, everything kind of went under there, which is a good lesson in both startups and entrepreneurship there. And then moved over to a a magazine and an agency, uh, you know, doing doing various marketing roles, kind of focused in the music and entertainment space. Um, about eleven years ago, I, I just kind of wanted to 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 make a change. Uh, I, I thought about going. I was actually in the process of of going back to get my MBA and uh, to sort of move into the software kind of technology space. And around that time, a friend had kind of connected me with this company MailChimp that I wasn't really that familiar with, but kind of in the early days of, of, of the company joined uh, as a brand manager, kind of marketing manager role there. And, uh, you know, that's what kind of pivoted me into the to the SaaS space. So worked there for about seven, eight years, uh, worked at another company here at, uh, in Atlanta called CallRail, leading their marketing efforts. And now I'm here at G2. Awesome. And G2 obviously has such a 
good brand name and a big brand name. So tell us a little bit about how you're marketing and what are some of the channels and strategies you're using? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, if you had asked me this question uh, six months, a year ago, I, I would say really our marketing is focused on acquisition only. Like we just want to get, uh, get, get new leads in, get opportunities for, for our sales team created. We're absolutely still doing that. But I think given the climate that we're in, we have a renewed focus on kind of retention and expansion. So that's a, the scope of marketing's gotten bigger. We're really trying to, to better engage our customers. We just as G2 are pretty strong believers in what we would call customer-led growth. So use your use your customers as your best advocates and use use them as your opportunities to to grow. And so we're trying to kind of practice what we we preach there. Um, from from sort of a, a tactical level, you know, we're we're digital natives. Uh, we're we're obviously uh, you know using all, all the different acquisition channels we can there, whether it's paid search, social display. ABM, those are those are all um, areas for us. But I, but I think was you know I kind of reflect on that. It all starts with with great content for us, whether it be SEO or just something to drive all of those acquisition plays. Um, we, so we spend a lot of time focused on content that's going to be relevant for our audience. Um, we also you know look for opportunities to engage through through webinars uh, and in the past year through in person events and NPR a little bit more, um, and then have sort of underneath that all a kind of a robust email marketing and uh, marketing automation strategy to help uh, continue to engage those folks who, who may have shown some interest. And what does your ideal customer look like? Yeah, the, the ideal customer for us is, is obviously, um, you know, a B2B software company or, or service. And I think when you really, you know, uh, we, which is a very kind of wide total addressable market, but when you really narrow in on that, for me, what I'd look for is a company, and it doesn't really matter the size. We we have you know small startups to to very large enterprises active on G two, but it's folks who understand the value of customer marketing, customer advocacy, and then also the value of demand generation. Um, so they're they're able to leverage. Some of our, uh, you know, more what we would call our essential tools, building out a profile, getting those reviews, building up a presence there, and then, you know, sort of slowly be able to graduate or use our more demand gen focused tools. So leveraging buyer intent data to make kind of more to do more informed marketing for yourself. So it's somebody who, you know, fits uh, fits into both of those camps and understands the value of both, not not sort of an either or um, scenario there. Palmer, are, are you a little, is this a little bit of both of like your role as head of marketing? Are you kind of twofold, A, helping G2 market itself, as well as helping those, some of those software companies, you're kind of involved in both? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, certainly, as anybody's role would be on the marketing side, I'm, I, you know, my chief my chief role is to grow G two, grow our brand, grow grow what we're doing from a marketing perspective. But I think um, what's unique about myself and, and frankly most of the other marketers on our team is that we were either users or customers of G two before we worked here. Um, and and our uh, I, I certainly was at Mailchimp and CallRail. We were we were customers of G two, so I understand what it's like for folks who are either in that that customer or kind of prospect side. And our um, our, our VP of Revenue Marketing is a just a another longtime G2 customer. And she's really kind of the wizard who can sit down and show you like, here's how you can make the most of G2. And she's 
spends a lot of her time, you know, not only growing our own demand gen strategy, but talking to customers, helping them understand the value. So uh, that's that's the great thing. I've had the uniqueness throughout my kind of software career of being a, a marketer who's mostly marketing marketing products. And uh, that's uh, it, it helps to speak the language. And frankly, I think our sales team appreciates having uh, some marketers on staff who are can kind of go speak the language there with uh, with prospects. No, that definitely makes sense. And it's like, you know, you're, like you said before, you're kind of, you know, practicing what you preach, uh, yeah. you know, at the same time. Palmer, tell us what makes G2 stand out against its competitors. And I got to tell you, I, I don't, a, a competitor, obviously you know better than me, but <laughs> and we don't have to mention those competitors. No, they're not in the podcast. You are, but I don't, I couldn't even tell you what a G2's competitor is. It's not, it's not obvious to me. Like, you know, we've had Pepsi on the podcast. Everyone knows right. their, their competitor. We have had Lyft on the podcast. You know that I, I don't know of G2's competitors, but if what, what separates you? Yeah. I, you know, there, there are other um, review sites out there. I mean, we were very early to, to, to market with, with G2 about 10 years ago. And so I'd say we have two advantages. The first one on that kind of review site side is just our scale and reach. Um, we've got 80 million software buyers visiting g2.com each each year. And uh, that's just huge reach and it's global. And that gives us an advantage that, that we can really build on. We've got tremendous organic traffic and SEO because of that. And that helps us in sort of demonstrating value to, to potential customers as well. Um, so that's sort of the review side. The other side of the coin that I'd say we compete with is sort of the traditional research analyst firms. And, you know, that that's sort of there. They've got a, they've been around for a while and it's a very top down sort of, uh, you've got to get this access to this analyst who's going to then go, you know, figure, go for, into their ivory tower and figure out what the, what the best solution is here. Um, we, we think that we've got this bottoms up approach that really gives you perspective on all of these different software solutions from a customer's vantage point, from uh, from from you know the actual folks who are using it, and so that to me is, uh, you know, helps us stand out when folks are comparing us against a a research analyst firm or trying to figure out what's our value. And and and, and listen, it's not an either or scenario for us, but I do think you've got to be addressing, um, you've got to be looking at at sort of peer or customer voice. It's how folks are buying these days. They're not just going to. Uh, you know, select the first thing that they see. They're going to go, but they're going to do their research. And and we think the G2 plays a, a big part in that process. And uh, we noticed you guys also were on the uh, Deloitte fastest growing list. Uh, we made the list as well. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, what's uh, some of the things that have attributed to that success? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I mentioned it just a second ago. Of like G two was was pretty early on. I mean, there there were sites like TripAdvisor or Yelp around when G two was started, but no one was thinking about this from from a software perspective. And and frankly, that was sort of the genesis. Um, our co founders had worked at a, a previous company together, and and after they sold that, they were sort of figuring out what their their next move was going to be. And and part of the the origin story is they were sitting there realizing, hey. I, I could go online and read a thousand reviews about a hundred dollar a night hotel room. But if I want to get more information on a piece of software, that's going to cost me a hundred thousand dollars, 
I've just got to go to a to a sales rep or to like a research analyst, these things that feel very kind of far away or frankly just aren't aren't what I want right now. And so that's sort of where the idea of of G2 was born. And I think frankly, that's just such a a great sort of product market fit there that it's helped us uh, grow over time. Once you attract those software buyers, get them to the site, start adding reviews, getting creating that community and that feedback, it, you know, it's not hard after that to then go get the software vendors to come and say, hey, we've got this great community of folks. We think it's another way that you can engage and, and reach uh, potential customers. And, you know, one of uh, the key things about our podcast is we have a lot of uh, younger professionals that listen to the podcast. What's one advice you have for either your younger self or some of our younger listeners, early stage professionals? You know, I, I've got... I've got a personal one and a professional one. The, the personal one is it's something folks told me when I was in college. And it was like, you're, you're never going to have as much free time as you have now. And, and like, I heard it, but I didn't believe it. And as I've gotten older, you, you just, you know, maybe until the point when I retire or my kids are out of the house, uh, you know, you just, you never get that free time back. And so make the most of it. You're going to have, even though you'll feel really busy earlier in your career or when you're in college, you've still got more time to learn. Well, and that doesn't have to be, you know, professional focus. It could be, oh, I just really want to get into this hobby or learn how to do this thing and take that thing with me for, throughout the rest of my life. So that's something if I could go back to, you know, when I was 18, I would I would definitely make sure I, I knew that and practice that. And then from like a, a purely business perspective, um, you know, my advice is spend time learning the business and the business model. And, and I say that as someone who's always loved marketing and that, that bled into creativity, design, even the product and engineering side. Uh, but I think I wish earlier on in my career that I had really learned the, the X's and O's of, of business, sort of like not only the kind of investor perspective, but just like financially, how is this business run? What's important? What do we need to be focused on? I, I've had the luxury and the pleasure of, of being able to do that as a, as I've gone on in my career, but I just kind of think back if I was, if I had mastered that at, you know, 23, 24, 25, who knows what, what I would be able to, to, to do with it now. And so those are sort of the two things as I look back, I, I would probably do a little bit differently. That's uh, that's great advice, both. And I definitely relate to both of them, especially the personal side, right? Mm -hmm. You know, your time for sure. Palmer, talk to us about, you know, I saw G2 does a, does a conference called Reach. Tell us a little bit about that. You just recently had it. Is that virtual? Is that in person? Yes, it was. We've done it. Um, this was our third time doing Reach. Uh, Pre-COVID, we did one of them in person in, in Chicago. Uh, this year, we decided to, to, to bring it back as a, as a virtual event and just was wildly successful. Uh, it, I was thinking about that, uh, you, you know, reflecting on we did it in December 1st. So it's still fairly, uh, fairly recent. And we saw registrations come from 60 different countries. And so when you're sort of weighing that virtual versus in-person, I can guarantee you there was no way, you know, f folks from 59 other countries would have flown to Chicago or San Francisco to engage in this. So uh, I, it was really, a, you know, a great opportunity for us to, to showcase um, 
a bunch of different things. We sort of had a, a taste or a flavor for everybody. We we had a kind of a CEO panel with uh, uh, our CEO and the CEO and uh, co-founder of Zoom Info. Uh, we had a, a VC panel with um, several kind of the, of the leading VCs um, talking about what they're seeing, what software companies need to know, uh, you know, sort of what the future looks like there. And, and then we did some, we brought in some software analysts who sort of looked like, who looked at, you know, what's happening in the MarTech landscape, what's happening in sort of the go-to-market approach, and then sort of dove into a bunch of like marketing specific kind of tips, tricks, how you can learn from some of the folks. We had the former uh, CMO of Zendesk and Slack and, and, and several other folks at Atlassian and others, some just really great companies who uh, I think were able to provide some insights that frankly, we just can't get in our, we don't get in our day to day. And, and a lot of times we don't have those uh, resources to, to lean on. Um, and we wrapped that we wrapped the whole thing up with a couple of master classes just to help folks understand how they can make the most out of, out of G2. So, uh, you know, from our side, it was a wildly successful event. So a lot of great engagement on the day of, and the beautiful thing for me as a marketer is that it's, it you know, still sitting there at reach.g2.com. It's all on demand. You can kind of go engage with it uh, when, when, when you want to, which is just the, the beauty of that being evergreen and uh, we'll be there until we, until we do the next reach sometime this year. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Do you, uh, you know, and you could go listeners, you, you heard Palmer, uh, you know, go right to that site. Any plans for when that's going to be coming up? We'll probably do it. We haven't set a date yet. We'll, we'll do it in Q4. Uh, we did it uh, December 1st this year. And uh, I think we found, you know, as we're, we're all sort of, getting back to what the new normal is like at post COVID. And it, it does seem like that September, October uh, window gets really busy from an in-person event uh -huh. perspective. Yeah. So it's sort of like, all right, November, December feel like a good time to, to put in a virtual event. And uh, as folks are maybe slowing down as they kind of get into the holidays, but, but still, still want to engage in some way. Yeah, I know that it definitely is a good time, especially December. You're right, because a lot of people are like, ah, that's coming, coming close to the holidays, but a virtual event around that time, because there's nothing, oftentimes you said, does slow down. So be on the lookout for that, the good people listening. Also, Palmer, talk to us about challenges. It's, you know, it's 2023 now, early on in 2023, some marketing challenges, some marketing trends that you think are going to be coming up in 2023. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think you listen. Every uh, every quarter can be a a challenge for 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 marketers. I, I think there's a there's a couple of things that that we're seeing right now. I think the um, a big ground shift that I think is we're sort of at the tail end on, but it's been going for a few years is just um, a lot of what's happening from a privacy perspective and changing for marketers. You know, with cookies going away and things like that, it, you really have to not necessarily completely rethink your approach, but understand that that uh, metrics may change. There may be a little bit of an evolution in terms of what works, what doesn't. And staying on top of that is something that, listen, that's been a four or five year journey for me, but I still feel like we're not not towards the, the end of that yet. Uh, I, I think when we're looking at B2B marketing specifically, um, I think one of the challenges that, that we face there is, you know, how do we act more like B2C marketers. And that's something that that I think uh, hasn't been embraced enough. I think a lot of times uh, B2B marketers can get a little too uh, sort of in their own bubbles. And, you know, what what are my MQLs converting to SALs? What's that looking like? And we're just not, you're really selling to humans here. And that's why you've got to frame it. It's a, it's a human to human motion. And 
how do you do marketing that's going to going to resonate at that human human level? And and that, frankly, I think that that's starting to change, but I, I, that's a welcome change. Uh, but I think it's a challenge because it's it, it's uh, it is. I, I guess changing the way folks, um, uh, you know, approach marketing. You know, one of the trends that that, that I'm sort of seeing, um, I think, is a great trend. Is just, you know, when we look back to 15, you know, even 10, 15 years ago, is just the issue used to be access. Like, you, you, where, where were you going to go learn? Where were you going to be able to stay ahead of the curve? And it's like you're maybe waiting for Seth Godin's new book to come out so you could go grab it at, at Barnes and Noble. And and I think just what's happened from a social media, a podcast perspective, we're, we're right here doing that. But just even beyond that, what I've seen crop up in the past two to three years are these online communities, whether they're Slack groups, Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups, that really allow folks who are very uh, connected or in similar roles to learn from each other and to share challenges. And, and that's just something that, I mean, it's always existed to a degree, but the circle may have just been really smaller. It may have been that conversation could only happen at that conference when you saddled up to the bar next to four folks who were doing the same thing you are. And now it can happen every day in your Facebook feed. And uh, that's just a, that's a great opportunity for learning and it helps sort of accelerate. I think it'll help accelerate folks in their careers. One of our signature questions is around LinkedIn messaging, and we get a, I'm sure you get a lot of messages that you're not sure why you're getting, and so we'd love to know what are some of the messages you respond to, and more importantly, what's one that really annoys you? Yeah, um, I... <sighs> I have a philosophy on on LinkedIn. I, I actually enjoy LinkedIn. I think that more than some folks do. But I'm there are certain folks who just kind of accept any request that comes their way. I, I need to know the person or have some connection to them, or I'm just not gonna gonna accept it. It doesn't mean we have to personally know each other, but hey, we were on that call together or you, we participated in that event together. I just need some connection point there. So, you know, as far as as connecting goes, that's one. In terms of messages that that I get, what really stands out to me. Me. And this this is um, applies on email too. Is that show that you've taken the time to sort of either understand me or my business. And that doesn't mean just saying, "Oh, I see you went to I see you went to school at Ole Miss," or "I see you live in Atlanta." Say, "Hey, I saw G two did this. That was interesting. We've got a solution that could help you do this." So mo most of the times, what I see the messages that don't work are that they put some kind of you know, mundane personal thing there at the beginning. And then it's just like they jump right into here's what our product does without sort of talking about how that could address a potential pain point or something that you're doing. So for me, it's taking the time to sort of understand, you know, something about uh, what I'm working on or what G2 is working on and how your solution or, or opportunity would uh, do it. And I'm, I'm putting that all through like a, a sales lens. If it's someone who's just like, Hey, I, I want to connect and learn, or I'm, I, I'm a college student. I want to know more about marketing. I, I, I actually welcome and enjoy those, but it's, it's more of that. Uh, most of those LinkedIn messages, I feel like we get are, are from a sales perspective. So try and couch that in a way of like, this is how you can cut through the noise and actually uh, reach, reach that person that you'd like to. You've worked at quite a few great places, Palmer. So What's been a, a highlight for you in your career? Yeah, I, I mean, I'd say during my time at MailChimp, um, you know, that was a just a career highlight. Uh, joining that company in the early days and, and then leaving uh, when it was, you, you know, uh, 
huge kind of almost just a corporate, uh, you know, like leader, I guess you could say in that space. And uh, there's a particular campaign that we ran, I think it was back in 2017. And uh, it, it was right after the um, serial podcast had come out. So MailChimp was one of the advertisements on that. And that was a, a big zeitgeist in, its, in itself. But we ran this campaign, the, 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 the sort of kernel of that ad was this, uh, they did a man on the street interview and someone mispronounced the name MailChimp and we left, we left that in the, uh, the, the, the podcast ad and it turned out that was a great idea because it really resonated. So we ran a campaign after that, that was just, uh, it was called, did you mean MailChimp? And it was all these mispronunciations or just weird plays on the name MailChimp. So like we made a song called Mail Shrimp. Uh, we, we showed how you could do, use a new beauty product called Snail Primp. It was a very out of the box, like big integrated advertising campaign. And um, that was just a really, uh, it's a once in a lifetime sort of campaign to get to to get to work on, and that was a fun one. It ended up winning a, a Grand Prix award at the the Can Lions, which is sort of like the Oscars of marketing and advertising. So that was just a a really awesome highlight for me. And uh, and I say all that it was crazy, out of the box, very creative, but it led to like one of our best quarters ever, and uh, at, at the time. And so it's there's there is a connection point between those two things. Like you can be super creative and different. And, and in a lot of cases, you just got to have the courage to go do that. It'll spell business results kind of in the end. Uh, that is awesome. I, I do remember that actually the serial podcast that my, you know, my wife made me listen to, but I was yeah. like, oh, this is amazing. And then yeah, MailChimp. And then that's another one of those kind of, you know, retention marketing, email marketing companies that or, or, you know, semi part of the vernacular. So that's, uh, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Palmer, we've come to the time where it's, you know, get to know you personally, uh, talk to us about some of your hobbies. Well, you know, you're, you're uh, originally down South. Now you're, you're in Atlanta. Uh, you lived in New York for a few years. What brought you to Atlanta and, and what do you like doing in your, you know, spare time? Yeah, so I, I finished school uh, at Ole Miss, and uh, I ended up in Atlanta just because I got a job at that that uh, startup I had mentioned. It was it was uh, very coincidental and and uh, you know good timing that I also around that time started dating a girl who's now my wife who went to the University of Georgia. So we were a lot closer together there. So Atlanta worked out uh, really well with her being in Athens and me being in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that's sort of how I've ended up here for for kind of the long haul. Um, as far as uh, as far as hobbies go, I, I tell folks I used to have hobbies and then I had kids and uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, so I still try to get it in, but I, I used to run a lot, play basketball, and now I'm lucky to kind of like squeeze in, uh, you know, a few minutes on the Peloton or get some push-ups in or something. So, uh, we'll see, maybe as the kids get older, it'll, it'll free up a little bit. And, uh, I, you know, outside of that, I'm, I'm a big uh, pop culture guy. I love, love books, movies, TV, um, try and try and stay up on that. As you can see, I got a lot of books here behind cool. me, but, um, you know, again, with kids, it's like you don't get to watch as many movies or, or at least you don't get to watch the movies that you'd want to as much anymore or the TV exactly. shows that you may want. So try and make the most of the little time that I have. And then I'm also uh, I'm a sports fan. So I, I do try and keep up with that. Uh, love soccer. So the World Cup was, a, was uh -huh. a real highlight here over the past month. I, my my productivity over November to December may have been slightly affected by the fact of how many soccer games were on during the workday. Uh -huh. 
Um, but that was fun to see. And then I, I big baseball and college football fan. So, so love the, love the Braves here in Atlanta and then support my, my alma mater, uh, Ole Miss there, uh, which it was a up and up and down year this year, but my, my wife's a UGA grad, so I can just, yeah. keep, well, I can follow so she had some fun that, this past uh, I should be, days. I should yeah. bandwagon that way. It's just a, you know, a, my bandwagon, my way to a national championship, I guess. Yeah. Back to back national champions. I know that's uh, I, when you said that, I, I was like, Oh, your wife must be very happy with this. Yeah. Uh, recent oh, yeah. outcome. She was, she was, she was up late on Monday night celebrating. I was like, listen, this thing's over. I'm going to bed. So yeah. Uh, exactly. So, and, and Palmer, are you still interested in music? Is that still a thing? I remember you yeah, said, yeah, I say that, you know, I'm still, I, I don't, I don't find it's, you know, I read something there's, there's interesting, like, you know, social studies or social science kind of studies out there. That's sort of like what the music you listen to from when you're like 12 to 25 or something is sort of like what sticks with you. Mm -hmm. And I find that true. I, I, you know, I, I still love music and, and that's something you can fit into your life even, even while, while you're working. But uh, I don't, I, I just can't keep up with what's new as much as I, as exactly. I used to. So I find myself going back to those, you know, classics from either childhood, college, right out of college that, that, that I've enjoyed, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, alternative rock from back in the day or, or stuff that, you know, you, you got into along the way. So it's fun. That's great. But it's, it, it is, I, I can already see myself being the, you know, the uncool teenage parent who's just totally out of touch with what, what my kids are listening to. They're, they're not quite there yet. They're still into the kitty music, but one yep. day it'll come and I'll be, uh, I'll be very out of touch, even though I used to be very uh, finger on the pulse there. That uh, everything you're saying there resonates with me because mm -hmm. it's like, you know, uh, I just watched once upon a time in Hollywood, that yep. Tarantino film. I just watched it in 2022, but I've watched Coco about 77 times, you know? And I'm the same way, I feel like music today. Sometimes I'll see like a Grammy Awards and I'm like, who the heck is, you know, little this and little that or the or, or baby, who? And I'm like, what? I, I'm more of a 90s hip hop guy. Yeah. Uh, alternative like rock like pearl jam nirvana all those so I, I i had that feeling yesterday i think they announced the coachella lineup and i saw the poster and like one of the headliners i i, I was like i truly have never seen that name before now turns out it's a k-pop group which that was just never that that's oh, not wow. i know it's a huge world yeah. but not a world that i was in but i literally i was like is this the mistake i've never even heard of this uh this group before but uh, so i'm like i'm too old i'm checked out like i i gotta yeah. just stick with stick with uh what's what's tried and true yeah what's your what's your music uh knowledge like aj i know you're a huge beatles fan but uh you know wh where's it going um, from there yeah mostly i would say classic rock and mm. i've been playing uh hurdle lately so you guess it's, it's like wordle but you guess based on musical tunes so oh, wow. i've been uh expanding into more uh random songs like palmer said like yeah k-pop genre and whatnot but no uh, yeah no mostly i uh, stick to classic rock and uh all my uh kids uh, uh especially my older one who was nine now we had a long commute to his daycare before and uh so he was forced to listen to beatles and queen and nice. all those type of bands so now he, he he can identify it in fact his first concert was uh, queen plus adam lambert so that's hey you're doing yeah. you're doing good there that's good <laughs> that's cool. I, I feel like it, i'm glad you've been able to my kids always force me to turn on the 
you know, the kids' music versus me being like, hey, check out this this good stuff that you want to listen to. So I've yeah. I've lost that lost that battle. Oh, I know that's uh, interesting. And then also, I wanted to talk to you about uh, Palmer. The I remember going to see the Giants play the Falcons in that beautiful stadium. Yeah. Uh, on a it was a Monday night football uh, Monday night, but that Sunday, your MLS yeah uh, soccer team was like more people there than at the NFL game. Yeah. Like, what the heck is that? It's crazy. It's it's wild. They, that um it's been a real success story, the MLS team Atlanta United. Uh they I think the team started in 2017, so right around the time the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium that you mm-hmm. mentioned opened. And uh, there's a couple of things. I think there's a lot of folks who are just soccer fans here in Atlanta. There's big youth soccer culture here. And so there's just some pent-up demand. On top of that, you had um Atlanta, you know, maybe even like New York, a lot of transplants, a lot of folks who didn't grow up here. So they have their, they have their sports teams that they support outside of that. All it takes is going to like a Braves game when they play the Red Sox or the Dodgers or something, there might Mm -hmm. be more Red Sox or Dodgers fans there than Braves fans. So it's like, you know, no one had a dedicated MLS team. So like, this is the Atlanta team that I'm going to make. And then on top of that, the team was just really good. So that like when, when they're successful, it's easier to get folks in the, in the seats there, but they, they, um, you know, for a while there, we're selling out the most of their home game. Yeah. The team is not quite as good as they were two or three years ago now. So it's sort of slowed down, but it's really cool to see that. And, uh, you know, certainly, certainly pretty rare. The, the attendance statistics, it's like, oh, here are the other MLS teams and then double all of that was what yeah. was getting at theirs. And then the year I was there, they had already won. They won the the championship, I guess, the year before. Yeah, they won so. twenty in 2019, which was like yeah. their third second or third year in existence so that's that awesome. was uh, pretty cool and pretty cool to see and i think it'll uh you know we're supposedly going to be one of the big world cup sites when it comes to the u.s yeah. 2026 so that'll be i think just keep soccer kind of in the forefront down down here and then obviously like i mentioned it's huge on the, the youth side here so it's, it's that's great fun to see yeah it's gonna be there and then uh looking forward i think one of the finals is in metlife stadium right here oh, yeah. in new york so that's gonna be awesome. i think great great to see palmer thank you so much for taking some time with us. We, we, we love what you're doing there at G2. Thanks for sharing your story. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the head of marketing at G2. Check out G2, ladies and gentlemen. Paul, Palmer Houchins, uh, this has been awesome. That's Palmer. I'm Vincent. That's AJ. This has been another episode of The Marketing Stir. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to The Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, please email us at themarketingstir at starista.com. And thanks for listening.